personally too as, as I come to preach this morning, actually uh, prayer time, is the first time that I've spoken out in the last five days at the suggestion of my, my doctors. Uh, it seems, you know, the best laid plans of mice and men, uh, for the last month there is a family that's been with us that I have had every intention to visit, and one thing has come up after another, and uh, then this past week I uh, lost my voice. And about a month ago I struggled with some uh, problems with a cough and a, and a cold that I had, and, uh, we're doing the test now to see if I've damaged uh, some of my vocal cords. But not being able to talk uh, and not being able to sing has been a real struggle. And I wondered this morning uh, as we came in, uh, how am I going to worship when I can't sing? Uh, and so many of the, the songs we sang are some of my favorites. And I thought, well, of course, you know, you worship in spirit and truth. And I'll be worshiping in my heart, but something just kind of led me to worship through, through you and listening to you sing and, and focusing on the words more. And I just want to thank you, uh, one, for the worship team, for the work you did. Uh, I want to thank you for your patience, those of you that I have been intending to visit, and you know who you are. Uh, and I just want to thank you for your song uh, this morning. I'm going to ask that you turn with me this morning to Romans in the New Testament. Uh, this has just been a, a very, to me, the last few days, very beautiful weekend. And I hope you're all enjoying what God has created. At least it's not below zero. Uh, the, the sunshine off the snow has, has been beautiful. In fact, one night we pulled into the driveway, uh, Olivia and I, and the headlights just hit the snow just right. And it just sparkled like diamonds and just, just beautiful of God's creation. I was texting with a friend uh, this past week who uh, believed like the Beverly Hillbillies that California is the place you ought to be uh, because they felt it was the greatest place that they had ever lived. And despite all the fires, all the mudslides, the overcrowding and, and the violence, uh, she would tell you she loved it because it had so much to offer. But, but one of the things that she loved the most about California was the natural beauty. She lived less than, than uh, 20 miles from the beach. And she loved the mountains, and one of the things she loved about the mountains were the trees. Now, that doesn't sound very uh, spectacular in, in any sense, because there's trees everywhere. But what made it uh, spectacular to her was that she got to visit the giant sequoia trees. And I've never been able to visit and see them myself, but sequoia trees are, are maybe 30 feet across at the base. Some of them are taller uh, than the Statue of Liberty. And standing at the base of these trees, looking up, uh, she said, it seems like they just kind of go on forever, like they reach into the heavens. And you would think with a tree that, that, that is that big, you know, what a root system that kind of tree must have. I mean, to hold up a tree that big, it must go pretty deep. They must spread pretty far out. Uh, that's what we think. But that's really not the case. The root systems of sequoias are actually very small. They really don't go very deep. They're not very thick. Uh, they're not very big and round at most. But what makes them strong is uh, that they, they reach out and connect with the other trees around them. If you were to take a giant sequoia and you were able to put it somewhere out by itself, the first wind that came along would probably likely knock it over. What holds them up again is that intertwined root system. They grow in groves. 
Now, I think that for us, that's an analogy for human relationships. And that's the image that I want to use as a backdrop for today's message, rooted to rise. You see, it's, it's all about being a community of believers, this congregation that we call the church. And especially this morning, as I, as I went down the prayer list, I realized you know, it's the idea that together we're strong, but alone uh, we're in trouble. God made us for community. He made us to connect with other people. Jesus, in, in some of his final teaching in this world, in John 13, 34 and 35, he said, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you are to love one another. By this all men will know, you're my disciples, if you love one another. Now in three sentences, Jesus said three times we're to love one another. The idea at heart of being connected, of relating with other believers is at the core teaching of the New Testament. There are things that only happen in the context of community. In fact, living in relationships is part of what makes us human. God does things in his disciples' lives that only happen that way. Now, I've got a video I'd like for you to watch. Uh, as this plays out, I'm not going to introduce it further. Maybe you've heard the story before. This is the Gainesville State School in Texas, but, but watch this for me. You'll see just about everything you would on any other high school campus. There are students, teachers, a computer lab, and a gym. Except here, the students are convicted criminals. It's an incarceration facility for kids that have uh, violated the law. Each day starts at a tiny dorm room they call home and continues marching from class to class, abiding by a strict schedule. In fact, the one thing that makes them feel like kids again is football. I'm just like, you know, remote model on campus, you know what I'm saying? Everybody want to play on the football team. Just to put on a Tornado's uniform is a reward, not a right. You must have good behavior and good grades. Not to mention, every game is played on the road, but it's worth it to escape on Friday nights and enjoy a small piece of freedom they gave up. But each week, there comes that constant reminder of who they are and what they've done. They don't treat us as a regular person in the world. They treat us like we're just some alien, just from somewhere out, just out of nowhere. I mean, they look at us like animals in a cage, like we don't deserve a second chance or another opportunity to be something in life. <laughs> After hearing the ridicule and losing eight straight weeks, the Tornadoes were once again on the road, traveling to play private school power Grapevine Faith for the first time, who had moved up a division. Their head coach, Chris Hogan, had a game plan in mind, and it had nothing to do with football. We were going to show them that in this country, if you make the right decisions, people will get on your side and support you, and it doesn't matter what your background is, you can make it. In a selfless suggestion, Coach Hogan sent out an email and requested his fans his players, parents, do something so out of the ordinary in the football culture. He asked them to cheer for Gainesville State. These young men will not have any fans outside of the faculty from their own school. Their parents will not be there. I want some Lion fans to sit on the visitor side and cheer for the Gainesville team throughout the game. I thought, okay, this is, this is cool that Chris wants us to do this leading up to it, but getting there that night, it was so easy to transition from being a fan for the Faith Lions to a fan for the Tornadoes. You know, the idea of, uh, of giving uh, 
and just being there to support those kids, those young men that have never had that before. So for the first time, the always-on-the-road tornadoes would feel as if they were at home. And as kickoff approached, it was obvious something was different. It looked like they thought they were at the wrong end of the field because they know they don't have any fans. And we were just looking. I just looked. I just kept doing my plays. I seen how they were split up. But I figured they just didn't have enough room on their side. I want y'all to line up in line. They make, they're making a spirit line. I'm like, say what? Coach, what you say? Can you beat that? And uh, he said, they're making a spirit line for y'all to run through. i like, that's what's up, sir. That's what's up. When it happened, it was just, it was dynamic. It was one of the most unbelievable things I've ever seen. When I ran through this, like, I felt like it was just like some, like, angels was on this side. That's all I felt. I was just running through it fast as I can. I just feel the wind rushing my face. That feeling of being unleashed lasted throughout the game, and so did the cheers. We had a penalty like the third play of the game, and I heard booing behind me. I turned around, and it was a great run fan. I remember when I was making like a play, I made a chocolate, and people yelling my name. I'm like, I don't even know these people. They were just like ours that night. I, I can remember rooting for their little quarterback, and I felt like he belonged to me. Our kids were their kids, and their kids were our kids, and all kids were the same. It wasn't enough to lead the Tornadoes to victory. As expected, Grapevine Faith won 33-14, <coughs> and the Tornadoes finished the season 0-9. But it didn't matter, because for the first time in a long time, someone was in their corner, and that alone was worth celebrating. I'm like, hey, y'all, this, this is going to get close, man. I don't care. I don't care if we lost tonight, man, because I was feeling good. I feel like we were in the Super Bowl championship game or something. Like, we won that. I mean, winning, like, in our heart, spiritual-wise, I mean, we won. I've, I've been in state championships of different kinds, and nothing was like this. Nothing. Isaiah and the rest of the Tornadoes will never forget the feelings they had on that night. And while it didn't erase the mistakes they've made, it showed 14 teenagers that regardless of the bad things they've done in their past, there was reason to look ahead. I cried. <laughs> when I, when, when after the game, I went back to my room, I cried. I think that your, your family are the only ones that love you. God is the only one that love you. Other people love you too. This is what I was hoping and praying would happen. I hope that it gave them hope. I see the world in a different way now. I mean, I'll just see, like, I'm the victim no more. So much love because, you know, I came from a broken home family. So, I mean, having all that love, it just, just rose my spirits up. They got to be kids that night. They got to be a teenager and experience Friday night football in Texas. I realize the stop start of our video makes that hard to watch, but I hope you listen. One young man, when he said, you know, it didn't matter if we won or lost, just knowing that someone was rooting for us. You know, in Christ, every sinner has a future. And I just love the way that that brings that message to you. It's such a cool story. And I think it's safe to say that the faculty at the Gainesville State School and the staff there, they work very hard on, on behalf of those kids. But under those Friday night lights, uh, something happened to them that would not have happened otherwise. And the question that I'd like to pose to you in relationship to that is, who do you think benefited the most that night? The players on the field or the people in the stands that were asked to, to literally cheer and root for the other team. Uh, there was something in the human connection there that, that made the difference. 
Now, if you've got the book of Romans, I want you to go to Romans chapter 12 with me. And as we think about a community, sometimes we think about a geographical reference often, just an area. But community really is all about personal relationships. And that's the way we commonly will use it around this place in the church. When the Bible talks about relationships, it talks about depth. It talks about real authenticity and interwovenness, this interconnectedness, and that's what we're going to go to this morning. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament, begins with, with a very special word, <laughs> therefore. Okay? And, and you can just stop right there for a moment and recognize uh, there are 16 chapters in the book of Romans. The, the first 11 chapters are all about God's grace and how it impacts and changes our life. And 12 begins with therefore, and for the rest of of this book, until chapter 16, it's gonna talk about how that grace and mercy transforms our relationships. It talks about us. And so what I want you to catch is we first understand God's grace, and then we let it flow to others. Read the rest of it with me in Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Then there's this great passage, if you want to skip down to, to verse 9 with me. It says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Now that is such a great statement for relationships. Be devoted to one another in love. It's a reference about commitment and it raises the question, are we committed to each other? You see, that teaches us several things. The first thing it teaches us there is you don't give up on people. You hang with people. And Paul goes on to say, honor one another above yourselves there in Romans. Never be lacking in zeal but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. That's tough. Faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people that are in need and practice hospitality. Now, I think that that last phrase is really just a way to give tangible or material support to others. And then the passage finishes there. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Isn't it great to know when you've got somebody that will fight for you standing in your corner, someone that is on your team, they will celebrate with you and they'll share sad times with you as well. They're not fair weather friends and they're not gonna desert you when there's nothing in the relationship for them, no matter what it costs them. If you skip on over to Romans 15, verse 7, it says there, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. That means the kind of acceptance we have with God, it's an acceptance you don't have to fight for. You don't have to hop on a spiritual treadmill to earn it. We're just accepted. And so you and I, therefore, we need to share acceptance and remind others Remind someone that you're on the same team. And then verse 14, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves, you're full of goodness and you're filled with knowledge 
and you're competent to instruct one another. And that's just speaking about the wisdom that, that Christians have and the ability to help each other. There's a very similar verse uh, in Colossians 3.16 where it says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. I like that. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. That means you've got wisdom. People sitting next to you this morning, they've got wisdom. In fact, I want you to look at the person sitting next to you. Go ahead. Look at them and say, you are so wise. Now, for some of you spouses, you're choking, right? It's hard to do that, right? I, I get that. Or you're looking at your children and saying, oh, you're not going to do that. But as believers in Christ, baptized into him, we have been gifted with the Holy Spirit. We have received the word of God with great rejoicing and joy. Therefore, we have wisdom to share. And together, we help each other live more effective and productive lives. Share the wisdom that God has given you. And then Galatians 5.13 says, you, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And, and again, what a great community to live in where people serve one another. Tim Parrott, Tim made me smile when he came to the first elder and deacons meeting. And uh, the elders were asking him a few questions. And I don't think I'm breaking confidence to say this. Uh, but he said, I'm ready to roll up my sleeves. And I'm ready to get to work. Let's roll. And he made me think back to, to Todd Beamer, the one who was on Flight 93 on 9-11, when he risked his life to serve and save others and, and just saw the value of someone who was willing to say, let's serve, let's roll. Let's think about someone other than ourselves. You know, Jesus himself did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. We really do help each other. Some of you, you've been on the receiving end of that. Some of you have been on the giving end of that. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind, be compassionate to one another. And then it says, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. And again, this is just true of God's grace. It flows to us and it flows through us as a community as we forgive one another. And, and isn't it true? Everyone needs forgiveness. We sing it. Everyone needs, I can't sing. I don't have a voice to do it. Everyone needs compassion. Everyone needs forgiveness. And sometimes there's something about this world that is just like living with Velcro on your soul. It is hard to give up when people have hurt us when people have fallen short of where we think they should be or how they should serve us or people that we love or our children, and we bear that with us when the scriptures call us to forgive just as Christ forgave us. Cheryl and I uh, realized at one point in our life the huge difference that a verse like 1 Thessalonians 5.11 makes. It says there, encourage one another, and build each other up just as, in fact, you're doing. And I know this is this one I just want to add, and this is huge. Everyone needs encouragement. We've been involved in small ministries in our churches in Indiana, in Kentucky, and, and even here. And there are times that, that we have just been down and out like many of you are as well. I'll never forget while serving in Indiana, and I've mentioned this before, 
uh, when my father died down in Lexington, Kentucky, and we were having our visitation at Millward's funeral home there in Southland, and I looked up and there was our small group from the church in Indiana that had driven all the way. They don't say much, uh, but they just put their arm around us. They, they cried with us for a while, and they left, and that meant so much. Hebrews 4, 24, or 10, 24, and 25 say, let's consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And by the way, one of my favorite verses as well, Hebrews 13, 2, and I've always loved this, don't forget, you show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained or shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Isn't that cool? James 5.16 also says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Do you think we lack healing within the body of Christ sometimes because we don't take God's word seriously? The prayer of a righteous person is both powerful and effective. In the body of Christ, we are all about authenticity. We're not about image uh, preparation or image protection. We're, we're about being frank as a family with one another because we want to grow as a family. And then near the end of the New Testament, 1 John 4, 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. As we've gone through that long list of scriptures, and you're probably struggling to get all those things written in as I went through them, did you notice the common uh, phrase that kept coming out again and again? One another. Sometimes it's translated as each other. But in the New Testament, over 50 times, we are given those one another statements, one another relationship statements, and there are many many people today that have been raised to be self-sufficient and to feel that way. There's a whole lot of folks in this world that would say, hey, Bill, I'm doing fine. I don't need all that stuff in my life. I'm just going to believe in God, and isn't that enough? Please understand, that is not the will of God. He made us for relationship. The scripture demands these connections and there are folks who struggle with, with relationships in their life. It's the reason if you go to Barnes & Noble over in Beaver Creek or you go online with Amazon.com, you will see more books, self-help books on relationships and community and philosophy and a theology even of community. But folks, this isn't rocket science, okay? These commands of the New Testament, they are simple. Love one another serve one another, forgive one another, straightforward direction from God about how to connect as God's children. And you say, but that's all well and good, but don't most people love? Don't most people already connect with others? No, <laughs> not really, and not so much. Uh, some get it and some don't. But that's the way it's described in, in the scripture. We live in a culture today that is, is less and less relational. There are some folks in our, our culture that are extremely independent, and independence has really become the American idol of our culture. Everybody wants their freedom. 
I don't want to be told how to live. I don't want to be told what to think or how to be tied down in this world. I don't want to have to answer to anybody. Uh, we, we even have quite a few families in this church that drive more than one car to church every Sunday. Uh, Cheryl and I, it's just her and I and Liv at home now, but we'll drive two cars to church every Sunday. For some reason, Cheryl and Liv, they don't want to get up and be here with me at 5.30 on a Sunday morning. You know, I don't know why that is. Uh, but we each do our own thing and our own way of getting here. And there's a whole world of people right now walking around with iPhone or Android buds in their ear, disconnected from all the things that are going on around them, but tuned in to their own music, their own conversations, their own world. And then the, the older I get, the more I realize, and I meet people that live over at uh, Brookdale Buck Creek where Cheryl works, uh, older people, they, they don't want to live with family. Elderly people, they, they don't want to move in with their kids. They want their independence as long as they can keep it. And there's the whole busyness thing. Sometimes we just act like we don't have time to talk or to listen to people anymore. But please understand, God made us not to avoid community and worship the idol of independence. I know a guy that posted, <laughs> seems ironic to say this, uh, posted on his Twitter feed this week, my neighbor across the street waved to me this morning. I've, I don't know his name and I've lived here for 10 years. And that's the way it is, isn't it, in America today? There's this whole independence thing that's anti-community and the pendulum can swing all the way to the opposite end, especially in, in young adults' lives. There's a very dependent community in another way. You see, some young adults, they lack their own sense of identity. And they don't have an identity outside of their group. They have a group of friends that like things that they like, that do things they like, and they are intensely loyal to that group. And they remain so even at the expense of their own feelings and safety. And, and sometimes they're deeply hurt. I knew a preacher once and his wife that they just had the gift of opening their home to needy people and they had the gift of hospitality. They invited a girl to come live with them who had come out of a difficult situation and uh, she was just a, a, a different subculture of a person, let's say. I mean, she was a punk rocker. She colored her hair, extreme colors, extreme haircuts. Uh, she really didn't find a place in her own family and so they took her in. And she had this friend named Liz that would come to visit her on the weekends. Now understand that she and Liz, they didn't drink, but one thing they liked to do is they liked to go to the club on Friday nights because that's where their friends were. They liked the same kind of music. They liked the camaraderie and the dance and, and being together. And, and this young girl, Liz, that came to visit, she owned a car that was really kind of a tragedy. One, it was a Ford, okay? Two, how many of you remember the Ford Pinto? Okay, if you, that'll show your age a little bit there. Uh, but she had this Ford Pinto and they would go to the club and while they were at the club, Liz's friends came out and they got on top of her car and they were just jumping up and down and they caved in the, the, the top of the car. And then they got on the hood of the car and were jumping up and down and they caved that in so much so that, that she could never add washer fluid, she could never check her oil because she couldn't open uh, the hood of her car but she steadily maintained these were her friends. 
in spite of the fact that they treated her that way. Not just her possessions, but her emotions and her participation in the group. You see, there's independence that's extreme and there's dependence that's extreme as well. And then there's the whole issue of online community today. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram. Joanne Strauss is a single woman in her 30s. And she wrote this great little book called The Unhooked Generation. And she writes why a lot of young adults today uh, choose not to get married or why they wait to get married later in life. And she says this, technology messes up relationships. Email and internet messaging can can create emotional distance. And ironically, this generation, and she's talking about her own, uh, is buying technology. And the more distance we are from each other, personally. See, virtual relationships, there's some feedback because they're immediate, and they could be very fun, but they lack warmth. It's not that they're all necessarily bad. They're just not a substitute for real face-to-face, in-person relationships. I mean, communication theorists for years have told us 7% of communication is content. All the rest of it is nonverbal. It's the facial expression, the tone, and other things. That's why so much on Facebook, so much that's sent electronically is misunderstood because you interpret it without all the, the part, the, the 93% that's a real communication. And we try to put emojis and smiley faces and stuff on. We try to let people know that we're joking with LOL and different things, uh, whether we're serious or just kidding. Now, if we already have a relationship, please understand, I I think online sources can help us stay connected. But it's no substitute for the real thing. And there are many adults in this congregation, you would do well just to power down the phone, call a friend, and go have coffee with them. Sit across the table from them, have a conversation. You know, the Bible says, for God so loved the world, he sent us a text message. No. For God so loved the world, he sent his son in the flesh, face to face. But we're living in a world where we're being more independent. Uh, Sometimes with it is that extreme dependent. There's busyness, there's this whole online thing. But I believe that into that environment, the Bible speaks. You see, God made us for community, for relationships. And the vision of this congregation is really all about lives changed by God. And it's changed by God and grown by God in the context of relationships. You always wonder about uh, huge megachurches that have complicated programs. What's hard for them is to have what sometimes we have. We have a very simple program here. Why is it so simple? Because we want you to focus on relationships where you can encourage the best in each other and you can help each other become the best version of you that God intended for you to become. And we're, we're, I realize I'm out of time this morning, but th- let me say, uh, I just want to highlight what the Heavenly Father wrote through Paul's pen in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. I think this is a beautiful passage. Therefore, anybody encouraged because you know Jesus Christ? I am. He says, if you're encouraged from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in his spirit, 
if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, in humility, value others' needs above your own, not looking to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. That being said, if you're not on a ministry team, if you're not in a small group, you need to approach one of our elders this morning. You need to approach me and ask about those things and get involved in one. It is easy to come and go on a Sunday morning, but real growth happens best in small groups where you get to know and be known by others. You see, this is essential at Springfield Church of Christ. The essential unit is not the worship service. All as important as this is, the essential unit of life change here is when we choose to get involved, to get connected in those groups. Again, we live in that culture that's less relational and less we're intentional about building relationships and putting down roots. We will not rise to grow. We will not. Relationships matter. I, I listened to a waitress recently talk about how her kids were involved <coughs> in so many sports. She was working. Her husband was working. He was coaching as well. And she said, I never get to see him. We are just so busy as a family. We're never together unless we're on vacation. And the reason is, when you plan a vacation, you're intentional about the time you spend together. That's just the direction our culture goes, and it carries us all towards isolation. And it's in isolation that Satan does some of his most damaging work. And community will grow over time. I've heard of Christians who have been part of a fellowship for quite some time. They get a new job, or they move out of town to a new community, and they'll get involved there, and they'll make some friends that they enjoy going out to eat with or go to a movie with. But they'll also say this, you can't have 20-year relationships unless you've been somewhere 20 years. There are times that God will move us from place to place, and we have to choose to be involved. I listened to a nurse once talk about how uh, he was involved first as an engineer. That was his degree in college. And he was involved with a very successful engineering group. And, and he listened to his coworkers talk about how they had been in uh, Atlanta and Greensboro and Kansas City and in Boston and all these places. They'd been two years here, five years here, three years here. And he said, when I grew up, I, I knew all my friends from the time I was, I was young through high school. When we graduated, we were still friends. And I wanted my kids to have the same depths of friendships that I did. So he left a lucrative engineering job, went back to school, got his nursing degree, stayed in the same town, and showed his children what connections were all about. And his life is on a different path now. You see, relationships, they're, they're part of what makes us human. We really are woven together, rooted together, holding each other up for a purpose. Now, let me give you this caution. We're going to wrap this up. There are those who come to church, and they've been to different churches, and they think, you know, finally, you know, this message, this connection thing, that's what I need. I've waited all my life to feel like I belonged to a family. 
And you hear the message and you feel like it's going to be supplied here. I'm in a place where I'm going to be loved. These people that I'm sitting with this morning, they're going to be the family that I never had. I just want to caution you and say, yes, while that may be true, it's still an imperfect family. We don't get everything right. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. That's why we need grace. That's why we need love and forgiveness. You see, the second concern is it it takes time for that to happen and a significant investment. And what we need to remember is this. Healthy community, it's not something we find. It's something that we build. It's something we build. And if you've been here for any part of my nine years here as a preacher come this Easter, you're probably thinking right now, Bill, don't you preach something like this every year? (laughs) Yeah, I do. And the reason is, is because in this culture, it's like we're swimming upstream uh, against the culture of, of independence. And so we continually call each other back to this biblical idea of relationships. I want to close by telling you about one of the first ministers that that Cheryl and I were blessed to know. Uh, He was just a a wonderful guy. He owned a a Jeep Cherokee that he absolutely loved. 91, a Jeep Cherokee had almost 200,000 miles on it. It was in pristine condition. He would tell you it was driven only by a little old man, mostly on Sundays, the preacher. Uh, One exception was is when they hooked it up and took up their dinged-up ski boat to the lake. They liked to ski together. The boat was, it was cheap. I mean, it wasn't anything great, but it was fast. It was fun. They enjoyed water skiing together. But one day, his son and his wife called and said, Dad, can we go water skiing? And so they hooked up the boat, and they went to Brookville Lake uh, in Indiana. Some of you have probably been there. And as they backed the boat down the ramp uh, to the edge of the water, Uh, The man's son and wife, they were getting some stuff out of the Jeep. Uh, The minister put the the Jeep in park. He left the engine running. He went back to arrange some things in the boat. And when he did that, the the transmission let go. Uh, The park failed on it. And the car just went backward with the boat into the water. Now, I've got a picture here to show you. What what you're going to see on this picture, (laughs) and you don't realize, is this boat... It's still on the boat trailer, okay? And there's also a 91 Jeep Cherokee in this picture (laughs) that is underwater, suspended vertically in the water. He said, we did the best we could as this thing was going. It was almost like it was organized. I I tried to grab wallets and keys and phone, and my son grabbed the sandwiches because he's always hungry. You know, they got the the important stuff out of the car, but it, it was too late, and it was a total lost. Now, he said, my, my car uh, was only worth about $1,500 altogether. Uh, had it insured for uh, something, but, but not for replacement. I only had it insured if I damaged somebody else's car. And uh, so there on the, on the beach, as they looked out at their boat, he borrowed a phone from somebody that was standing close to them laughing at them. And uh, he called a friend he knew back home. <coughs> it turned out his friend was eating dinner. But he got it from the table, jumped in his truck, drove out to them, and he brought them and this boat, which the DNR had to bring out two scuba divers to take chains out to hook to the car. Remember, it's all still connected to pull this thing out of the water. But this friend, you know, as an inconvenience to him, you would think, 
left his family, left his dinner sitting on the table, went out, picked them up about two hours away, and brought them back. And he was just kind of a guy he knew that I could call. And it really wouldn't be inconveniencing him. Uh, he's just the kind of guy that loves serving people. He's the kind of guy that just waits for the opportunity to help people. So when you, brothers and sisters, when you don't have a blood brother, a blood sister in town that you would call in that kind of a situation, who do you call when your Jeep sinks in the lake? Who do you call when your job tanks? Who do you call when your marriage sinks? Who do you call when you've just had an absolutely terrible week and you just need somebody to be on your team, to be there for you? And will people call you? Will they be able to call you knowing it's not going to be a big inconvenience to you, that that it's really all right with you? You see, I gave you a challenge a couple of weeks ago that every month of this year, I want you to do what? Invite one person to come to church. This morning, I want you to be intentional about deepening your roots with those that are already here to join hands with God as a family in Christ to see this become a great community of love. Would you stay with me this morning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, stuff is only stuff. Yeah, we get attached to it. So when it sinks, we miss it. We struggle. Sometimes we are like the rich young ruler that came to you and We want you to know that that our hearts, we crave eternal life. We crave an eternity with you. We crave righteousness that comes from obeying your word. But Father, forgive us for the times when we consider the cost of following you too great to pay. We don't want to sell everything we have and give it to the poor to come and follow you all the time. Father, sometimes it's hard to see the relationships that have meant so much to us. Some that we've been dependent on, probably too much. Some that we have lived independent of, but now that they're gone, we have regrets. Father, I know that you made this place, this family, with all those one another's, so that in that moment, we could find you at work. And we wouldn't have to look very far. We could find someone who's willing to put their arm around us and walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. We have someone with us that can reach out, just like you did with Peter when he was sinking, and they can pull us out of the lake, help us stand. Father, I thank you for them. I thank you that It's not an inconvenience that their life is focused on following you to to serve, even if it means giving their all. Father, I ask that you would just create within us a pure heart that's willing to, to worship you without the burden of those regrets, without the burden of an unforgiving heart because we need forgiveness. 
And life is too short to be filled with bitterness or to be spent on the wrong things. You love the church. Help us to do the same. Father, I thank you for being our God and never leaving us alone. Father, for the person this morning that just needs that sense of connection, help them to find you. You said that they would if they sought you with all their heart, and maybe today they're ready to just accept you as their Lord and Savior. Maybe they're looking for prayer. Maybe they're looking for family, and this is the place they're ready. Lead them in Jesus' name. Amen.